the title of my message, and uh, Pastor John was, was flowing this morning in that offering, so, and uh, it was the word awaken, awaken. Uh, if you said to me, hey, you know, what, what is the purpose of God's presence? What is the, the purpose of the church? What is the mission of the church? Why do you do C3? Why four locations now, 16 locations? Why, why is it? I would say it's to awaken. I would say it's to awaken. You say, awaken what? Well, you know, there's a principle in the scripture called uh, the law of first mentions. In fact, it's a principle in life. That the first time that you hear something, that you will, you will regulate every, every time you hear about that subject, that issue, that topic through that filter. And so the first thing that we see God do is awaken man. And we're going to go there in a second. In fact, let's go there now. Genesis 2 verse 7. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed the man, formed the man of the dust of the ground. This is Genesis 2. Genesis 1, God created man. But Genesis 2, God formed man. Is that Tyler? We Tyler, nice to see you. Stand up with your beautiful bride. These guys are about to or have kind of a, a right in the process of launching down in Jacksonville, Florida. Is that right? C3 Jacksonville, Florida. They are two of the finest people. I'm so sorry. I just looked down and thought, gosh, that guy looks like it is. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. Nice to see you guys. Lift your hands to heaven. Father, we thank you, Lord God. And you know what I hear the Holy Spirit saying? This week was, a, was not only a significant week, but a pivotal week. Because uh, the, the devil will try and lie to you guys, Tyler. He'll try and tell you, you build the church out of what you know in your mind, what you've learned cognitively. And God says, no, no, no. I will build my church. And he does it through the power of his spirit. And the beautiful thing about the kingdom is the kingdom is completely transferable. And this week, you got to download in your spirit. Don't worry about what you do know or what you don't know in your mind. I've put it in your spirit. The DNA of a, of a city-shaking church in Jacksonville where the altars are filled every week with lives being saved and lives being changed and, and people pouring forth and people awakening out of darkness and awakening out of bondage and awakening out of addiction, awakening to the great callings and giftings and anointings of God. That's what you guys are going to do. God would say, I've put it into your spirit this week. You saw it. You heard it you experienced it don't worry about the head's always going to catch up the head's always a couple of years behind the spirit god put it in your spirit just let it flow in jesus name everyone said amen, amen. so great to see you guys welcome as well god bless you fantastic and if i missed anybody else visiting from out of town god bless you welcome so anyway genesis 2 says the lord god formed man from the dust of the ground genesis 1 says that god created man in his image and likeness. But Genesis 2 says that God formed man. So that tells me that, that God creates and then he forms. So, so you and I have been created. Like the fact that you're here, you carry the DNA of your mother and the DNA of your biological father is, is, is resident in you. And you bear many of their traits and many of their images. So, so, so everybody that's alive has been created, but not everybody's formed. The, the, the objective of the church is the forming of your identity, the forming of your purpose, the forming of, of your calling, the forming of you in the image and the likeness of God. I'm not sure if you've had a look outside the walls of the church of late, but, but it's chaos out there. 
it's crazy out there. There's disorder, there's dysfunction, there's abuse, there's, there's you know, shootings in Walmarts. There's, there's people have lost their, their minds out there because they're, they're created, but they're not yet formed. The job of the church is the forming. Discipleship is, is being formed. A lot of people don't like the forming they, 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 because they, 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 they don't like somebody else speaking into their lives. But you've got to give yourself to God's processes. Anyway, let me keep reading. I'm, I'm digressing and it's not good. All right. <laughs> Four men from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. There he put the man whom he had formed. Now let's jump down to verse 21. Verse 21 says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took out one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I love this passage of Scripture. Now, I want to kind of show you something and then open it up. When, when you walk into the house of God, uh, in fact, let me just back up a little bit. Uh, I feel my responsibility. I feel my responsibility. I remember driving on the the five, and I just crossed Delmar Heights. I can still see it like it was yesterday. And I'm coming down the hill towards Via de la Valle, heading north. And the Holy Spirit said to me, "What kind of church are you gonna are you gonna start?" And I was so excited to tell him what kind of church we were gonna start. And then I realized, oh shoot. God never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer. And I'm like, oh, okay, let me just stop talking right here. Remove foot. Remove foot. Lord, what kind of church would you like me to start? That's probably, let's just start there. What, what, I'm here, your servant, to build what you want. What's in your heart for San Diego? And I felt him say, give me three words. Fresh, real, powerful. Fresh, real, powerful was the word. And I saw that, that our, our job was to be a life-giving church. That the people walk in here and, and they may walk in and they are dead in their sin. They are dead in anger, depression. They are dead in bitterness. That they, they are dead because a dream that they once had was broken. And now, now that, that mechanism that would dream again is dead because they feel so hopeless. Maybe, maybe, they, are, maybe they are dead relationally that they, they went through a horrific divorce or, or there was betrayal and they were wounded and now they're dead. He says, when they walk into your house, when they walk into this church, they should walk into a, 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 an encounter with a power that awakens the dream mechanism, that awakens the believe again mechanism, that awakens hope, that awakens faith, that awakens that, that your, your churches to a place where people come alive. So, so God... God creates man, but Genesis 2 says that God forms the man from the dust. So here is God breaking with pattern. He said, let there be light. Light was. The light he called day, the darkness called night, the evening and the morning, the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the heavens, and there was. Then God said, let dry ground appear, and it did. Then he said, let the seas be gathered and the seas did. And then he said, let the stars and the stars. He said, let the sun and the sun and let the moon and the moon and let the dry ground produce and, and let the earth bring forth and let the sea teem with and let the sky be filled with. And everything he created, he created with his words. He created his, with, with his words. But now in Genesis 2, the Bible says that God breaks pattern when it comes to you and I. 
and he puts his hands in the dust and he begins to form the man. He begins to form the man, which tells me that you and I need more than just the word of God. We actually need connection. We, if you ever meet the people who are very, very word heavy, but connection light, something's a little bit off. Something's a little bit broken. Now, I'm all about the Word of God. I want the Word of God. The Word of God is power. I, but can I just tell you, you need connection. We have people that graduate from seminary, but they have zero connectability. They have zero people skills. They do not know how to get along. Now, if there was one person who did not need to build a team, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. If anybody was coming to be the Savior of the world, it was Him. If anybody could have just said, hey, guys, guys. Appreciate your enthusiasm, Simon. Just grab a seat. This is big boy stuff. Watch and I'll show how this is done. If it was anybody, was, but Jesus got them involved. He's pouring out his heart. He's like, you know, guys, I'm about to be handed over to the Gentiles. They're going to beat me. They're going to whip me. They're going to put a crown of thorns in my head. Then they're going to crucify me. But don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to rise again on the third day. It's all going to be good. I don't want you to freak out. Yes, James, yes. Oh, we want to sit one on your right and the other on your left in your glory. Did you hear anything? I'm about to be beaten, killed. And all you care is about where you sit. Look at me. We're closest to Jesus. I mean, you know, and the Bible says all the other disciples were indignant. He had to deal with, you know, their, their attitudes. And then, you know, Judas is stealing. Thomas is doubting. I don't even believe this. And, you know, he, he's going on. Bartholomew. Is Bartholomew? We got no idea. He's just a no. What happens to Bartholomew? Jesus is dealing with people will be your greatest commodity and they'll also be your greatest headache, sometimes all at once. But it's good for you. We need to learn to get on with people. I feel called by God. Brilliant. That is wonderful. But you need to understand that sometimes you've got to get the hands in the dirt. It's a little bit messy, a little bit dirty, but, but dealing with people. I know many people, they say they've got a call of God and they can't forgive. They can't let go. They can't resolve. They can't get along. You, you ain't going to do anything. In fact, we tell our interns, if you want to really be used by God, you know, read How to Win Friends and Influence People. Like at least start there because we're graduating people from seminaries that have got a head full of theology. I've got a divinity in theology. I'm a, I'm a post-tribulation rapture, you know, person. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I believe in the great battle between Arminianism and Calvinism, but the five-point Calvinism. And, uh, and, but they can't, they can't raise a team. They can't build anything. They can't. It, it's, it's a team that takes a city. God will give you a dream, but that dream will frustrate you until you learn to build a team. Jesus, who didn't need to build a team, built a team. God gave, put a dream in my heart, but I know that dream is only going to be executed through team, through team. You need other people. Anyway, I digress. So God, God, God shapes man. God shapes man. Then the Bible says that God <sighs> breathes into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and Adam <laughs> becomes a living being. So I, I, I like imagery. So that means that Adam is just formed. God has formed him. On the inside of Adam, God has formed lungs, spleen, liver, kidneys, heart. God has 
a digestive system, a, a, an immune system, a reproductive system, all the systems, circulatory system, cardiovascular system, all these complex systems, brain, everything is in there. Everything is in there, but until the breath of life goes in, Adam is just inanimate. But as God <sighs> breathes into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, Adam, <gasps> Adam comes alive. But what's really interesting is for God to breathe into Adam, for God to form him with his hands and then breathe into him means that when Adam went from a, a, a state of no consciousness to an awakening into a consciousness and an awareness, the very first thing that Adam sees when he opens his eyes is he sees the face of the one breathing life into him. He sees the face of his father. This is important because one of the first things that God will awaken when you come to the house of God is identity. Is identity. Who you are. May I suggest to you that when you look into the mirror, even though you think you see you in the mirror, you will never discover your identity from gazing into the mirror. Because when you look into the mirror, you actually really do not see you. All you see is your reflection. When you look into the mirror, you see your reflection. You do not see you until you look into the face of God. It's only because you were made in His image and in His likeness. When I look into the mirror, the mirror is there to, to reveal my flaws. It's to show me that I need to comb my hair. It's to show me, oh my gosh, i got something in my, my teeth right there. Oh dear God, my eyebrows are doing that thing again. And I need to, the, 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 oh, another wrinkle, dear. dear. And, and the, the, mirror, the mirror will show you your But when you look into the face of God, you'll begin to see your potential. You'll begin to see that you are fashioned and created in the image of the most magnificent being in the universe. Do you know a tree has already reached its potential? It can never be anything else. Everything that God created, He created speaking. Let there be trees and there were trees. Let there be animals. and there, A cow can never not be anything but a cow. A tree can, can stand there. It'll always be a tree. But when it came to man, God used His hands because he wants you to know your potential to be whatever you want to be is unlimited and unwritten. But as you begin to look into the face of God, two-thirds of the temptation over Jesus from the devil was around identity. No, not once did, did kind of Jesus, you know, Satan sneak up to Jesus and go, hey, Jesus. No one's looking. Smoke that. Well, oh, what is it, Lucy? Marijuana. They'll legalize it in the future. Your daddy made it. It's a natural leaf. Never once did he try and get him to say, hey, Jack lives here. Drink that. Because he could drink that and smoke that and kind of think, yeah, it's stupid. But Satan comes after Jesus and says, if you are the son of God. Turn these stones in. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it. Because he knows that if I can dislodge you from your identity... If I can dis disconnect you from your identity, I disconnect you from your destiny and I remove from you an understanding of the power and the potential that you hold. The very, very first thing that Adam sees is the face 
of his father. It's the very, very first thing. It's the awakening of his identity that Adam is forged and fashioned in the image and the likeness of God. We live in a world that is a broken world. Do you know that 91% of our prison inmates come from father absent households because there was no face of a father in their childhood as they were growing up. The, the, the power of a, a face, a father's face at the Little League game. The, the dad may not even be vocal. He may even just be checking email and, and having to juggle both things with work and, and, and everything. But he turns up to the game. And even though he's got his, he's got his smartphone and he's doing this, just him in there. And, and when they call, that's his boy to back. Come on, son. You can. When, when, the, when the kid looks and he sees his daddy's face in the crowd, something rises in him. He says, my, I, I am valuable. I, I, I am worth my daddy taking time out of his busy schedule. There's something that is imparted in, through a daddy's face. When, when daddy's at the recital, at the ballet, at the dance, and, and she's dancing and she's singing, you will find she's longing, she's looking in the crowd. Is my daddy here? Most of the girls who end up in, in the sex trade and in prostitution, there was no father. There was no daddy's face in the crowd. Do not underestimate the power of a daddy's face. Now, let me just say this. That when we see tragedies, do not let the world, which has lost its collective mind, try and tell you that it's because of this and it's because of this. In every single, in every single shooting, every single one of those tragedies, one common denominator. No father, because a father will instill value, a father will instill purpose, a father will say your life is significant. You don't got to try and be famous by shooting up a mall or shooting up a Walmart or, or, or destructive, hurting people hurt people. But when a father is present and when a father's face is there in the crowd with that child, it forms the child, it tells that child, you have worth, you have value, you have purpose, you were created for significance. Go on son you can be something go on daughter you can do something great with your life <laughs> Satan I'm telling you I'm telling you I'm telling you the devil looks he, he scours and he looks for, 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 for children that have no daddy in their home because the father is the covering of the home the father is the covering in the home and he the, the enemy comes in where there's no covering and he will he will seed into the pain. He will seed into the resentment. He will seed into the bitterness. He will seed into the brokenness, all kinds of jacked up ideas. And there's nobody there to, to, to straighten him right. That's why we need to raise up fathers. That's why I thank God for Emerge. I thank God for Emerge. Now listen to me. You and I live in a world where there is a spirit in this world. I don't have time to go into it. But, but the, the, the devil is a thief. He's an identity thief. He wants to steal your identity because if he can steal your identity, he can take away your destiny. Joseph, Joseph has 11 brothers, but he's the only son of Jacob that wears a multicolored tunic. He has, he has a multicolored tunic that daddy made for him. And, and so the brothers are jealous of him because it's kind of a smart thing, really, on Parenting 101. If you have a favorite child, don't make it obvious. But Jacob never got the memo. So he's just, that's my favorite. Eric, a favorite. You know, so anyway. So, but what's also interesting is because he's wearing the coat of his father's favor, he's also the only kid dreaming. 
There are a lot of people, they, they don't dream, they don't have any dreams, they have no aspirations. Because the, 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 the mechanism that unlocks your ability to dream and believe for greatness comes in your understanding that you are and you carry the Father's favor. So much so that, that he dreams a first dream where he says to his brothers, oh my gosh, guys, I dreamed. We're all out in the field and, and you guys had like shoes because you guys are out there working while I'm supervising, even though I'm the little runt. Anyway, um, and, and all your shoes began to bow down to me. And they're like, shut up, you little punk. And so the Bible says, after the scathing rebuke, that Joseph dreamed again. Instead of dreaming again and toning it down a little bit, the second dream, he says, guys, guys, dad, you got to hear this, man. I dreamed again. And you know what? This time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. <laughs> and now the dad chastises him. Shall your mother and I really bow down before you? What is this that you have dreamed? But I like him. Because he doesn't just dream again, he dreams outlandish. He dreams bigger because he's wearing the coat of his father's favor. The devil knows how dangerous you are if you can capture the dreams of God. So you need to understand that the Spirit of God is hovering over the earth. The Spirit of God is, is here. And the Spirit of God does this. He takes that which belongs to the Father and he quickens it to you and I. So it, this San Diego, 16 campuses, was never, was never my idea. I didn't grow up in school. One day I'm going to go to San Diego. And I, I, had no idea, I didn't know where San Diego was. But, but, but God had it in his heart for a church. And so the Holy Spirit took what was in the Father's heart and he planted it into a willing servant. That's how God does things. And you need to understand that God has heavenly things. God has awesome things. And the Holy Spirit wants to take those things and he wants to put them onto the inside of you. But your ability to capture them, your ability to see them, your ability to dream them. And the dreaming is the intersection between the two realms. Your ability to dream them and believe them and put them into operation is dependent on your understanding of your identity. So watch what happens. They take Joseph and they throw him in a pit to kill him. And then Reuben, thank God, Reuben intercedes and says, we can't kill him. Guys, look at us. We're like a pack of animals. We can't kill him. He's our flesh and blood, our brother. Let's sell him. So they sell him to the Ishmaelites. I love this because we think, oh, you know, okay, well, you know, they make profit. But it's actually the devil because this happens all the way through Scripture. Because Satan is relentless towards you and towards me at doing a thing called revalue, devalue. See, Joseph, up until this time, had dreamed because he believed that he was his daddy's favorite. He'd heard the stories of Isaac and Abraham. He knew it because it had been retold and passed down that God made a covenant with Abraham that all the land that you see on which you see, I'm going to give to you and your descendants forever that Abraham walked with God and that, that Isaac came 
when Abraham was 100. He was a miracle guy. And that's, that's his granddaddy. That's his daddy's daddy. It was a miracle. And, 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 and Rebecca was, was barren. But Isaac prayed and pff, God put twins, Jacob and Esau. And then he heard all of the stories about Jacob and the promises of God. When Jacob was asleep on a rock and he saw a ladder set up to heaven and angels ascending and descending upon it. And God speaks to him and says, the land on which you lie, I'm going to give to you. And he knows this inheritance. He knows, and he knows not just is he the heir of all these promises, but he's his daddy's favorite. So no wonder he's daring to dream these big dreams because that's all he's heard. He's heard of an almighty God who's made a covenant with grandfather, a covenant with great-grandfather, and now a covenant with father. He, that's all he knows. So the devil does this. He, he makes him witness. A transaction that takes place with Joseph is pulled out of a pit, taken to the Ishmaelites who put him in chains, and then he watches as negotiations and a deal, and he watches the Ishmaelites shell out 20 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. And he watches signatures being signed, piece of paper exchanged, his brothers walking away with the 20 pieces of silver. These guys now with the contract, they own him. And the devil has revalued him to you think you're this. You think you're that. You think you're an heir. You think you're some destiny shaker, some history maker. Let me tell you who you are. You are a slave. You are a slave. The devil wants you to believe that you're a slave to your sin. You're a slave to your past. You're a slave to what happened. You're a slave to that addiction. You're a slave to pornography. You're a slave to your gambling. You're a slave to your anger. You're a slave to that, that alcoholism. You're a slave to that drug. You're a slave to this. You're the devil is a liar you are not what you struggle with and you are not what the world tries to tell you you are you are who God says you are the most magnificent thing about the story of Joseph is he never let the transaction he never let the betrayal he never let the disappointment shape his identity he knew who he was they may have made they may have called him slave part of a slave boy come in and get me my work the, the, they may have treated him like a slave but he never behaved like a slave he never thought like a slave he always thought like a prince He's the prince of Egypt. He always thought like a prince. He acted like a prince. He behaved like a prince. No wonder he became the prince of Egypt. Somebody say amen. Don't let the world devalue you. Do not let the world tell you the transactions that you engage in. The things that were out of your control have revalued you and devalued you. You bear the image of the living God. You are stamped with the Imago Dei. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Let God breathe on you and awaken your identity. Amen. I'm still on point one. <laughs> Luke, Luke, Luke 15, Luke 15, the prodigal son, the prodigal son. We, we see this echoed again. Incidentally, Jesus was sold for the same price, the price of a slave, because it's the devil. He always wants you to believe you're a slave. There were slaves in Egypt. There were slaves in Babylon. The devil's, the devil's number one goal is to have slaves. Do not let him enslave your mind. Do not let him enslave your mind that you're just this and you're just that. You're, you're made in the image and the likeness of God. So we know the story of the prodigal son. The, the son comes and literally, literally, you need to understand Jesus is preaching to a Jewish audience. And when he says uh, the younger of the two sons comes to the father and says, Father, give me the inheritance that is due to me. This is so obscene. 
this is this is the, this is the height of dishonor and depravity disrespect because daddy's not dead but the son is saying as far as i'm concerned you're dead to me and i don't care about you your life your welfare a son's job is to to provide for the father in his old age this man is so reprehensible in this story that he says i want to take from you old man because i just want to go and party so the, the audience hearing this immediately is villain is this boy. The Bible says he goes off to Las Vegas, where what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, only to find it doesn't stay in Vegas. It stains his soul. But anyway, uh, and the Bible says he spends everything that he had on wild living. And he eventually runs out. And there's a famine in the land and nobody gave him anything. The world is empty. The world will never satisfy so the Bible says he joins himself to a citizen of that country who puts him into the field to feed, and Jesus so provocative, to feed swine. So now the Jews are like, oh my gosh, to feed pigs? Can he get any lower? It's an unclean animal, forbidden all the way through the Scriptures. So they're feeding pigs. And the Bible says one day as he's going out with the pig slop to feed the pigs, he was so hungry that he began to look at the pig slop to feed on the pig slop. And then it says in the story that he says, man, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And here I am perishing with hunger. I'm no longer worthy to be called my father's son. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father's house and I'm going to ask him to make me like one of his hired servants because I'm not worthy to be his son. And everybody listening is like, damn right, but man, you, you, you don't even deserve to be hired. You don't even deserve to be a worker. You don't, you know, surely the dad's going to bring judgment, not mercy. Well, the Bible says that while he was a long way off, the father got up off the porch and ran towards him. Amen. Now, you can't, you can't recognize someone. This has been years. This has been years, which meant that, the father was looking, every day looking. I wonder how many false alarms were the father. Oh, it's my boy. And he ran only to get close and realize it's not my boy. But on this particular day, again, there's a lone figure coming up the path. The father gets up and he runs. The Bible says he falls on his son, kisses his face. He says, son, you're home. The boy repeats. The, the, the phrase he rehearsed and he falls down and he says, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The father never, ever responds to that prayer. Never responds to that. Does not engage. Does not. The father take these filthy pigs, pig slop stained clothes off him. Put a brand new robe on him takes the signet ring off his finger and puts it on his boy's finger. Can you imagine the kid, the shame, the humiliation, and all of a sudden the daddy is putting the ring on his finger. And then he puts sandals on his feet. See, the, the, the robe speaks of identity, that you're part of the family. You, you're not a hired worker. You're my son. I'm restoring you back to son. When you and, I, you and I, because of our sin, have lost. But when we come to Christ, we are born again. 
And he takes our sin-stained rags off us. And he clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Well, we know we're not worth, but we are now restored to sonship. But even more than that, he takes the signet ring. And he's, that, that ring is good at Walmart. That ring is good at Costco. That ring is good at Home Depot. That ring is good at Mossy Nissan. Why, that ring is, is good at San Diego Mercedes. That ring is, is good at... That, that, that ring, it's on daddy's account. It's on daddy's account. It's on daddy's account. It's on daddy's account. Authority. Not only that, sandals on the feet is purpose. But the father does one thing that most religious churches gloss over. The father says, now go and slaughter the fatted calf. Go and slaughter the fatted calf. The older brother, he, he's silent while the restoration of the robe. He's silent with the, the, rest, the, 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 the placing of the signet ring. He's silent with, with the sandals on the feet. See, when you come into the house of God, you're going to hear about your identity and God's going to begin to quicken that. You're going to hear about authority, that you're the head and not the tail above, only not beneath, blessed in the country, blessed in the city, that you have authority over demons, authority over sickness, that you have authority. You know, just kicked around, whatever you bind on earth, bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth, you, you have authority. You're going to hear about that. Sandals on your feet, you're going to find purpose. You're going to walk with purpose. You're going to walk with meaning. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread, God has given you, you're going to find all of that. But the brother, the older brother, only gets indignant when he hears that they're going to slaughter the fatted calf. Because the fatted calf says your life is worth celebrating. The fatted calf meant value. In this, in this house, listen to me. And God bless our money on point one. In this house, God is going to awaken your identity. He's going to awaken your authority. He's going to awaken your purpose, your mission, your calling. But the greatest thing, the greatest thing, and this thing will govern, it undergirds everything, is your value. Because the devil will whisper, you have lost value because you're a broken jar, a broken vase, a broken, you did this and I was there. I saw it. I was an eyewitness to that sin. I was an eyewitness to what you did. I was there. And don't ever think that you are, you're, you're not that, you're this. Oh, you can wear your facade to church and you can wear your, your mask and you can say blessed and highly favored. Or you can go through all the external rhetoric, but on the inside, I know who you really are. You are useless. You are no good. You are used and abused. You are junk. You are broken. You're abandoned. Your parents didn't even want you. You were, And the devil put all of these things in there. The father knew that the restoration was not complete. With him just finding identity. With him just having authority restored and purpose. The father knew for healing to be complete, we're going to slaughter the fatted calf and we're going to celebrate because, son, I want you to know your life is worth celebrating. Do you know, probably one of the number one things that, that we get criticized for in C3 is that we're a little too party friendly. We're a little bit too happy. Down at that C3, they're always clapping and smiling and laughing. As though it's a bad thing. Do you know why we're always clapping? Because you're here. Are you kidding me? When you joined, our church got better. Are you kidding? You gave us a reason to celebrate. You putting your roots down? Are you kidding? We hit the jackpot. This is better than Powerball. You turned up. You walked in here and said, 
I'm calling this home. Man, your life is worth celebrating. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we went up to, to Napa, which you probably shouldn't say is a preacher, doing wine tasting. If I was honest with you, we went, we went two years ago for, for Pastor Becky's uh, 30th, 30th, and uh, she's 32 now. John the cradle robber. And, uh, and Leanne said, oh, yeah, you know, it's Becky's birthday and we're going to do this. And I'm like, oh, what are we doing? She goes, yeah, we're going to go wine tasting for three. I'm like, for three, for three. So stupid is as stupid does. I book an appointment with a pastor up there because I'm like, oh, dear God, I'm going to go nuts. Like, oh, yeah, uh, I believe this one is red. <laughs> that one's white. Oh, yes, the way that it, the way that it refreshes my palate I mean I'm thinking three I'm gonna go out of my mind I'm gonna go out of. but after that experience hearing about what it takes to produce it it just it blew my mind it blew my mind so we went back like six months later and we've been back a few times since well just two weeks ago we were there and it was Pastor Michaela's birthday it was my birthday and so so we're here and we're laughing and we're eating great food and great restaurants and drinking wine. And we're just get, getting back to the hotel. And, you know, it was just, it was so much fun. I thought, so many pastors backslide or do stupid things because they don't have this. We need that. But we also, have you got someone that celebrates you? Have you got someone that says, thank God you were born. The world is better. The father slaughters the fatted calf. Now, just to redeem, just to redeem Napa in case people are like, right, that's it, we're leaving. Let me just say this. We were in, uh, I think we're at Bremer. And uh, Pastor Becky is one of the most extraordinary preachers, leaders, pastors, communicators. And you can always tell, you can always tell what God is doing by what somebody sees. So we, this was probably maybe our, our sixth or seventh winery over the few days. And we noticed that in many of the places, the, the winemaker, like this particular, or the one before that porter was the guy who invented the floppy disk from IBM. Uh, that was his winery. And he doesn't care about quantity. He's, his joke was that he spends a lot of money to make a little. He only does 3,400 crates a year. That's it because he wants high quality. But his wife likes Chardonnay. It's not really a Chardonnay growing area. So anyway, so, so there's a Chardonnay and it was so, and he named it Barbara after his wife. And they'd been married like 64 years or something. Then with the next one, they were married 57 years. The next one, they were married like 53 years. The next one, they were married 59 years. The next one, they were married 40-something years. And so Becky just said, hey, Pastor, have you noticed that all of these winemakers seem to not just get married, but they stay married? The, 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 you know, some of them are famous. Some of them, their wines are traveling all over the world, but they don't, they don't leave. They don't divorce. They, what, what, why do you think that is? And in my head, I wanted to say, man, I don't know, but... We've just been listening to the sommelier. And the sommelier talked about 2013 and 2014. And he said in 2013 and 2014, it was, a, it was a really brutal year. We had one of the most severest winter frosts. And the winter frost kills most of the grapes. The only grapes that survive are the ones who are able to get their skin to be a lot thicker. He says, but then it was coupled up with one of the most driest years, severest droughts. 
so that the, the grapes couldn't get water. So the roots had to strain to go down to find water. Do you know how many marriages over the years that sadly Leanne and I have tried to counsel but failed to get them to stay together because of a, a winter frost, an unresolved bitterness, a harsh, a frost that set in and they divorce irreconcilable differences or how many droughts she's no longer meeting my needs he's not and so because of a drought they leave but to a winemaker to a winemaker when he sees a frost he knows that the skin is going to get thicker and it's going to produce some extra pep in that wine he knows that a drought is going to cause strain so the roots go down and it's going to amplify and multiply the flavor of the wine so a winemaker will go through the same frost and the same drought, but rather than say, that's it, we're divorcing, he knows, man, if we're going through this much frost and this much drought, imagine the vintage, imagine the sweet wine that this relationship is going to produce. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com. 